we come now to uh, the book of Hebrews again, getting closer and closer to the end. And we come to arguably is one of the considered one of the great, most memorable chapters in the whole of the Bible, rightly called the faith chapter. We'll read the first 16 verses this morning. You'll also find an outline on page six. Very simple, but you'll be glad to see that there are only two points today. (laughs) Going home. It was a good day. Just two points. Now, Faith, by the, I'm sorry, this is on page 1007. If you t- want to get the uh, Bible that's in the pew and find that, I'm sorry, I didn't give you the page number. <clears throat> page 1007, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up So that he should not see death and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen... In reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise. As in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead, were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land out of, from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Thus, the reading of God's word. 
Let us pray. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart be acceptable in your sight. O bless us, Lord, with your word. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. I know it looks like I'm uh, texting someone, but I'm bringing up something that I want to share with you this morning. Uh, One of the interesting things that that surrounds us at all times are the positive thinking statements, right? Uh, Ways to think about life, to navigate life, little mottos, uh, sayings that keep you on track to help keep the world straight in your head, to keep moving forward. I like those that are sarcastic. Maybe you do too. And I wanted to read a few of those. When life shuts a door, open it again. It's a door. That's how they work. Okay. <laughs> life is short. Smile while you still have teeth. Okay. <laughs> My entire life can be summed up in one sentence. Well, that didn't go as planned. I love this one. Sometimes I shock myself at the smart stuff I say and do. Other times I try to get out of the car with my seatbelt on. (laughs) Um, Just a minute. I've got one or two more. I came. I saw. I made it awkward. (laughs) And then this is a great one for you uh, ladies. When you haven't worn makeup in a week and you put on mascara and you're like, move over, Beyonce, mama's back. (laughs) Well, we could go on and on with those. This chapter, though, can bring us to one of the most glorious, serious, life-changing statements That we could consider. And that is that you live your life by faith. The way I've entitled it here is faith is the only way to go. That's what this chapter is saying from first verse to the last verse. Faith is the only way to go. And it parades before us example after example after example. Examples that can grip us. That get under our skin. That we can remember That encourage us because these are people just like us that live by faith. And by God's grace, we too can live by faith. And I've divided it in two ways. The only way to go, faith is the only way to go. Because one, only by faith can we please God. You'll see that in especially verses 2 through 6. Okay, And then... Secondly, we're going to look only by faith does the future transform the present. That takes in verse 1 and then skips down to verse 7 to the rest of the passage. So you'll see how he begins with the future and then talks about in verse 2 being approved by God. And that's the part that he uh, touches on first, being approved by God or pleasing God. And then he returns to the future. So first... Only by faith can we please God. Notice this phrase in verse 2. 
For by it, people of old receive their commendation. And notice how important this is. Verse 4, it says, Cain was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. And then with Enoch, he was, uh, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And then he takes that phrase and says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. So you see, that's the whole part of these first verses. He was commended. Uh, Abel was commended. Enoch was commended as being pleasing to God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. And though this commendation is not mentioned until the end of the chapter, and it is repeated in verse 39, all of these, you see, covering everybody in the chapter, all of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. You see, this is the bookends of the whole chapter, being commended or pleasing God. So what is God looking for? Faith. What does God like to see in us? Faith. What does God approve? Faith. And when you see Jesus himself in his life on earth, the the few years we get of his ministry, he talks about the great faith that he sees in some, like the centurion or the Canaanite woman. And he also talks about the little faith. Many times of his disciples, oh, you of little faith. You see how he is attuned to this. He, he wants to see faith. He wants to see this trust. So only by faith can we please God. And we please God by believing these two things. When we believe that he is great and we believe that he is good. We believe that he is great and we believe that he is good. So we please God when we believe that he is great. This you find in verse 6, that we must believe that he exists. This takes you back to verse 3 that says we understand the universe was created by the word of God. So that the creator of all things exists. See, that's the point here. And it to believe the greatness of this God who has created all things. He simply spoke everything into existence. He spoke clouds and rivers and trees and butterflies and penguins and tigers. Spoke them into existence. That's who you must believe in. That God. Who is able to do that in your life as well. The almighty boundless creator able to do all things. You must believe that he exists. Not a God of your own making. But the God who created all things by his mere word. And part of believing this is to believe That he gives himself in all of his greatness to you. Okay. In all of his greatness as creator. He gives himself to you. You see this in the Psalm uh, 121 for instance. In the phrase we're pretty familiar with. Where he says. My help comes from the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. 
There you go. He believes that God exists. He believes that the creator who made all things by the word of his power exists and that he helps him. So do you believe that the one who helps you made heaven and earth? For example, do we say this in effect? My transformation into a person who can more and more become a kind of oasis of good to others. Okay, That kind of person that this comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Gives you some hope that you might could become that person. If that God who spoke everything into existence is your help. What about changing sinful habits that have been with me for years? What about my own blindness to my sin and how it hurts others? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. What about my being really different In significant ways than I have been. Progressively, consistently, deeply different. So that I become this oasis of good to more and more people. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. So, it's not just believing a fact. Oh, I believe God exists. Do you believe that this mighty God is at work in your life. So we must believe that he is great. Nothing is impossible for him. It does not depend upon me and my power. It depends on the great God of creation. It pleases him when you believe that he is great. But it pleases God when you believe that he is good. Because he says next in verse 6, That we must believe that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Actually, it's the noun word, not that he rewards, but he's a rewarder of those who seek him. Actually, you see, that's really asking the question, do you really believe he is good? Do you believe that his commands have your good at heart? Do you believe that? Do you believe that his promises are true? To believe that he's a rewarder, that he is ready to pour good things into your life as you come to him is to believe in his essential goodness. Let's take an example. Do we believe, do I believe in the reward of sacrificing love or sacrificial love? Do you believe in the reward of learning to love your wife in deeper ways? Ways that call for a sacrifice of time and effort. And in some cases, exposure to failure and weakness and inability. A call to confession of sin. A call to the confession of pride, perhaps, or self-righteousness. Asking those hard questions of how do you make your wife feel? What does she need? How have you hurt her or ignored her? Do you believe in the reward of that? That he's a rewarder for husbands 
who seek out their wives in this way? For all of us, at times, it appears that we believe he's a rewarder of those who avoid relationship with their wives, who retreat from their wives, who hide from their wives or ignore their wives or use their wives or control their wives with anger. And of course, all of us can ask this in so many different ways. Wives can ask the same question. Parents can ask the question. Children, you can ask the question. How about this? And I've rephrased it a little bit to put in your own brother or sister or brothers and sisters. Count your brothers and sisters as more important than yourself. Yikes. Don't ask me to do that. I know I'm more important than my brother and my sister, okay? And it says, let, in, this is in Philippians, let each of you look not only to your own concerns, but to the concerns of your brothers and sisters. Do you believe that that is the rewarding way to live? And that God will truly enrich you, that he will seek your happiness as you do these things. Do we believe in the reward of sacrificing ourselves to meet our neighbors and to love our neighbors and to bear witness to Christ? Or do we not believe in the reward of that? And so we don't do it. You see, it applies to every aspect of obedience. He is a rewarder. And this isn't like you do something, he does something for you. It's, it's a matter of our entrusting ourselves to his will, submitting to the prescription, uh, the medicine and nourishment of his word and giving ourselves to this knowing I will be well cared for and enriched as I give myself up to the will of this God. There's a real joy in sacrificial love, Jesus tells us. There's a shalom, a peace. There's a deeper and deeper fellowship with God and enjoyment of God. We'll be more able to live in gratitude and praise. We'll be able to be a person, as we've said, who waters others with kindness and patience We become a kind of shipping, a truck shipping line, bringing goodness to all the people in our lives. Wouldn't that be a good way to live by God's grace? What a rich reward of life. He promises it. He promises it. We must believe that he is great and that he is good. And this could apply even to an area like prayer, right? Do we believe that there is reward in giving ourselves to prayer? You know, by God's grace, now this this can't be perfect. It will always be a struggle. But can you imagine getting to a place in your life where you enter into daily praise, where you focus on some aspect of God's goodness and beauty, and it becomes like a movie of the greatness of God that you're eager to get to every day. A time to stop and refresh yourself in the goodness and greatness of God. To build your confidence in his presence and favor towards you in Christ. And then to help you live out, to live in that presence and favor all day. 
And then to begin to know the joy of your heart going out to the concerns and struggles of other people. Where you begin to emotionally forget yourself and you're taken up with thinking about what they're going through. And you're bringing that before God with sometimes even tears and anguish. Longing for God's blessing in their lives. Even for those who've mistreated you. Yeah, there's a reward in giving yourself up to this God. And every command is an enriching command. So only by faith can we please God. As we believe he is great and we believe he is good. And finally, since it's point two, only by faith does the future transform the present. That's where he begins, isn't it? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. And the word assurance really should be the substance or the reality. And the conviction or the proof of things that aren't seen yet. It means faith makes things that are in the future absolute realities to our heart. Okay? They're unseen. They haven't happened yet. Like in verse 7 where it says uh, in very similar language, Noah was warned about events as yet unseen. You see, that's that's the same language as verse 1, a conviction of things not seen. Noah had a conviction of things not seen. He had a conviction of the coming flood. He hadn't seen a rain like that. He'd never seen a flood. Never even heard of such a thing. But God said it. And he had a conviction that was so great in the face of probably much ridicule, as we've all imagined he faced, he continued to build an ark because he was convicted. He was convinced of what was not even seen yet. That's what faith does. Matthew Henry puts it this way. Faith has a clear and strong eye and it sees promised mercies at a great distance. See, they sees them, even though they're at a great distance, it sees them. And it believes them and and it knows they're there. Faith does. Or he puts it this way also. Faith has a long arm and can lay hold of blessings at a great distance and make them present so that you can love them and rejoice in them. That's what faith does. It, It makes the future become a present reality. It's the substance The present reality of the things that you hope for. And so in a way you might say faith unveils the future so that it seems present to you. It seems real to you. You can taste the goodness of the things that are promised. Even though you haven't seen them yet. Even though you never heard of them until God's word told you about them. But just like Noah... You begin to live your life in the light of those things that are unseen. But you believe they're coming for sure. They are coming. Just like the flood was coming. These things are coming. These good things God promises us. So it brings the future beauty and glory that God promises within the grasp of your life. 
so that it begins to nourish you, you see. That vision of the future, that faith in what God's going to do begins to sustain you when you lose things on this earth in such terrible ways. And you live in the light of that future. Think of how John puts it in 1 John. And he uses this similar language about not being seen. It's in 1 John chapter 3. And he says, it has not yet been seen what we are. What is he talking about? We're the children of God. And he said, doesn't look like we're the children of God. We, we suffer just like everybody else. We get cancer like everybody else. We have accidents like everybody else. We have bad things happen to us like everybody else. It seems like we're not the children of God. You see what John said? It doesn't yet appear what we are. It doesn't look like we will reign one day. I'll be honest. For some of you, it doesn't look like you're going to reign one day. And you look at me and you say, no, Darwin, it's hard to imagine that you will be a ruler one day. It doesn't look like we will judge angels. Don't you scratch your head and say, no, that, 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 that's not going to happen. We're not going to be judging angels. It, it doesn't look like we will live in a renewed earth with resurrected bodies that will never grow weak when I may stumble off the stage, right? It doesn't look like we could love each other perfectly because we sure don't do it now. It doesn't look like we could be perfectly happy forever, but that's what God has promised. We are the children of God. We are the heirs of the kingdom of God. That's the unseen. And faith makes it vivid, puts it in technicolor. It's in 3D. Faith makes it become 3D to us. We feel we're in what, that room where it shakes and, and we, we hear the sound roar through our bodies. You see, that's what faith does for us. Calvin says this, we don't have faith in God from things present. If you just look around you, you look at your circumstances. That's not where you get your faith in God. I wonder how my circumstances are going to be today. Because if they're good, I can trust God. If they're bad, I won't trust God. You don't get them from the present circumstances. He says, we have faith in God from the expectation of things still to come. Stephen even reminded the uh, Jews when he was preaching to them in Acts 7 about Abraham. Just like uh, our writer talks about how Abraham, he, he went into the land, but he didn't have the land. And I love the way uh, Stephen puts it. He says, he didn't get the land. He didn't get even a foot's length of it. <laughs> in other words, I think of a shoe print. He didn't even have a shoe print of the land. But he believed God for the promise. He believed even beyond this land to the greater land, to the ultimate land, the ultimate kingdom of God, the ultimate presence of God. Almost in terms here of his looking to the new heavens and the new earth, though that's not expressed in the text in the Old Testament, but that's the kind of thing he says they were longing, even even in the face of not getting this land, they were longing for that better country that God was to form for them one day. Even though 
They didn't have a shoe print of that land. He had nothing. He had no physical indication. But he believed that God would do what he promised. And you see, all these statements about believing uh, in God's promise are, are very personal. They speak of a personal relationship that we have with God and a regard that we have for his promise. Regard for him as God who makes the promise. The word promise is used four times in this passage. Rewarder means he's a promiser. He's a promise God. Isn't it amazing that God comes to us promising? The, the very first things he does, he comes to us promising. He's a promise God. When we say he's a covenant God, it just means he makes his promise in blood. That's what it means to be a covenant God. It means a serious promise, an all-in promise. A, I sacrifice myself for you promise. There is no other God. You have to believe that he's a promising God. There is no other God. And so to, to trust in his being a rewarder, the promise of the future, is to believe in what kind of God he is. He's a good God. Again, we come to this. And when the future, this, this promise of the future gets into your heart, when it invades your life, it begins to reorient your life. So it says in verse 11, they, or verse 13, I'm sorry, when they died in faith, not having received the things promised, but they saw them and greeted them from afar. It's interesting, they didn't actually have them the things, but they welcomed them from a distance like you would welcome someone into your home and embrace them and love them. They embraced the promise from afar. They embraced the promise into their lives and hearts to own them, to expect them, to count on them, to await them, to live in the light of them. That's what faith does. It brings the promise present to your heart. And this is why they became strangers and exile, it says in verse 13. You see, when you begin to believe in the promise to come, you automatically become a stranger to the world that opposes that God. And it means you're willing to lose everything that the world may take from you because of your commitment to God. You're a stranger to their opposition, their morality, their pride, their hate. And if it means you lose your physical possessions, even your relationships and your own lives, that's fine. Because you welcome the things that are promised to you. To confess you're a stranger in exile means that for Christ, you're willing to lose any part of this world. Knowing you have a better possession, as he says at the end of the last chapter. Paul actually says in 1 Corinthians 3.21, all things are yours. He summarizes the world or life or death or the present or the future. One translation says everything belongs to you. That's the promise. And sometimes we, and, and I understand it. 
I, I, we have thought this in different ways in our own life. Is he going to take away everything? Must I lose everything? And as one writer says, maybe. And if he does, so what? He's given you everything. And what you have, what you do have, is only a token of what's to come. And what you lose only reminds you of what you still have. Who can take that away from you? What you have is a little promise of the abundance that you will have. What's taken away from you just reminds you, I have everything in him. This is how we're able to submit to the suffering of loving other people. This is one of the ways that we submit to the suffering of loving other people. Of giving away our time. Of making the difficult choices. Of getting into accountability relationships. Of confessing our sin. Of admitting our weaknesses. Of being vulnerable. Part of the way we do that is that we have everything coming to us. And so we can even lose reputation. We can even lose our dignity. We can even lose our pride. We can even lose the propped up righteousness that we propose to others, even those most intimate with us. And we just give it away because we have everything. We believe the promise. And isn't it interesting that these people call this new future their homeland. It's the same word used for Jesus' hometown in the Gospels. This is my new hometown. And it, I know, don't do this, but if somebody asks you, where do you call home? Technically, you'd say, well, I've not really been there yet, but that's where I'm headed. I'm headed to my home. I'm headed to my homeland. That's where my people are. That's where my true father is. That's where my true brother is who died for me. That's where my people are who as well are helplessly depending upon God. And isn't it amazing that when people declare themselves strangers and they're all in for God's promise. And of course, you're not strangers to creation. It's part of the encouragement of this world is the goodness of creation and the goodness of legitimate culture. But we're strangers to the world's hatred of God, right? We're strangers to the world's opposition to God. But when we do that and we bank on God's promise alone, it says he is not ashamed to call himself our God. And writers point out this, this is a negative way to say he is Willing and happy to be called your God. He owns you. What greater, higher honor could be paid you than God calls himself by your name? You know, there was a time where, say, my son Chase, it would be, oh, that's Darwin's son, Chase. That's Darwin's son, Chase. Well, when he got into high school, played basketball and, you know, real popular guy. Then it became Chase's dad, right? That was an honor to me. It's an honor to me to be Chase's dad. And I would gladly say, name myself by Chase. Isn't that remarkable that God says, when you abandon everything, 
because you believe in my goodness and greatness. I'm not ashamed for you to be called by my name. I will come through for you in every way imaginable. You will lose nothing. You will gain everything. Trust me. Trust me. And trust ourselves to this great God. Let us pray. Oh Lord, enable us truly to commit ourselves to faith in the whole of our lives. Knowing that as we trust your greatness and goodness, we please you, we honor you, we exalt you as this kind of God who brings his greatness and goodness to bear fruit in our lives from beginning to end. And oh Lord, by faith that we could truly lay hold of all that you have for us in the future and it could set us free to sacrifice ourselves in this world. Sacrifice to to, to lose, in one sense, to lose everything because we have everything in Christ. And oh Lord, if there are those here who have not given themselves to this Lord Jesus, who died for sinners, who suffered on the cross so that all of our sins would be taken away, oh Lord, may even now they put themselves in the hands of such a gracious King the like of which they will never see again. Oh, Lord, draw near to them and reveal your beauty and glory so that they themselves may begin to entrust themselves to your greatness and your goodness. And, Lord, to begin to draw the future into their hearts and lives to nourish and refresh and sustain them all their days. Oh, bless us, Lord, to that end we pray. Amen.